Happy Thanksgiving, as my Mix 100 from Sci-Fi Talk Plus continues with number 19, another Time Capsule episode, this one, episode 378. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Let's continue with Time Capsule episode 378 at number 19. Hi, this is Time Capsule episode 378. And I'm Tony Tillotta. Rose Eveleth is a creator and host of a cool podcast, Flash Forward, which speculates on the possible future first by dramatizing it, and then by having experts, writers, and scientists comment if that would come to pass. We spoke recently. Today on Sci-Fi Talk, we have Rose Eveleth, who is the host of Flash Forward, and now the author of a new book of the same Flash Forward what I really love about this is you speculate about a possible future and then you actually create it. And of course, with audio, your imagination can play a big part. And then you actually talk to writers and, and scientists. I, the episode I saw was grounded, which I thought was excellent. I, I listened to it actually, but it was fantastic because you got to, it was a sample call to the FAA because in this future, uh, planes aren't flying unless it's an emergency. And uh, I mean, we could get there. It's not that far off. And then you have somebody who I admire, Kim Stanley Robinson, come on and give his uh, opinion. So I like the uh, the balance of it. That's a really neat idea. And, uh, and kudos for you coming up for something like that. Thank you. It's very fun. I mean, like, it's hard to complain that my job is to make stuff up, make weird audio dramas, and then talk to really smart people. Like, I can't really complain. <laughs> So, so as far as producing this, do you write some? Do you write the the future stuff first, and then you kind of go from there, and then you know, like we all do, send emails, reach out to people, and coordinate schedules and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's sort of a. Some episodes are different than others, right? Some episodes I have an idea for the scene or sort of for the future, and I I hear it in my head, and I know kind of like this is the little vignette story I want to tell, and then other times I just know that I want to talk about a, an idea or a topic, and so for some episodes I just write the scenes and we go from there, and then for others I will do the interviews first and kind of see where they lead us, and then write the scene from there, depending on sort of where it goes. So it's kind of it's a little bit of both, and sometimes it chicken and an egg thing because sometimes I'll think I know the scene and I'll write it and then I'll interview people and I'm like oh there's actually something much more interesting over here and I'll kind of like you know change it so you know it's always kind of a little bit of a synergy between the two wow yeah it's not unsurprising people people think that just comes together but no yes that is my big pet peeve as I'm sure you feel the same way where people are like podcasts are easy and you're like okay <laughs> sure yeah, just put a microphone in front of you and you can do it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Now, you ha- you do have a producer that works with you, right? Yes, Julia Linas Goodman. Yes, yes. I just actually, middle of last year, hired Julia to be the producer on the show and they are incredibly great and have like truly saved the day more than once on the podcast and um, they've been amazing to work with. So yeah, it's been really nice. It was very scary to go from just me by myself to like even bringing in one person, right? Because as soon as you have to explain your process to another person or like, I don't know, there's some amount of vulnerability of like letting another person into your creative endeavor. And so I was very nervous, but Julia has been amazing. It's really something. Uh, So six years, uh, personally, I, I think I've grown a lot doing it. And I've learned so much, even more than I thought I knew. 
uh, about my subject. So, so what has it been for you? It's been really interesting and, um, you know, I think very fulfilling to, to sort of go, go it in the independent space. Right. You know, and, um, it's not easy, as you know, right? Like there's a constant battle for making it financially viable, sponsorships, you know, you you know, you know how it goes. Um, yeah. And um, and so I think that it's been it's been really interesting. And I've learned a lot about not just sort of the editorial creative side, but also like how to run a business, how to do promotion, right? Um, you know, certain things that I'm not naturally as good at as a journalist, I'm not great at like self promotion, because I'm like, just the facts, you know, like trying to, um, and, and that piece of it. Um, but I've, I've learned a ton doing it. And it's been really, really rewarding. And um, there's something, you know, if you can, own your own IP, right? Like as an independent show, I own the show. No one can tell me what to do. No one can sell it elsewhere and put another host in and replace me. You know, there is some sort of, um, I take a lot of pride in being able to do that um, and sort of being able to like support a producer and, you know, bring people in and pay our voice actors and, you know, all of that good stuff. Because I don't know, it feels like there's, it's harder and harder, I think, to make it as an independent podcaster these days. And so... It's um I feel very fortunate that I was able to get started when I did when there was that kind of window of sort of like anything seemed possible and to build up sort of the business side enough to be able to keep it going. So, yeah, it's not been super easy, but it's been very fun and very uh, educational. Look for Flash Forward wherever you get your podcast. Victor Webster is Vice President Silver in Motherland Fort Salem. We spoke recently about that role. Will we see you a couple more times during the season or how many episodes will we see you? Uh, you'll definitely see me um, uh, more than a handful of times. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So is it safe to say you'll be returning to the, uh, to the fort uh, to, to see the late, to see your daughter? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot, there's a, quite a bit of stuff that happens between my daughter and I, and it's, it's uh, the writers have done a fantastic job of really kind of um, showing that connection and all the things that I just talked about, how difficult everything is and really allowing that to play out for both of us. Are, are you going to have any scenes with your president at all? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she is incredible. She is incredible. I spoke yeah. to her last year, as a matter of fact. About yeah, this. so powerful, such, such gravitas. She's, uh, she commands um, a lot of attention and is, is, you can see why she was cast as president. What's it like to play in this alternate history where witches have played a part of our history for, since the Revolutionary War and earlier? Yeah, I love it. I've, I've done a lot of sci-fi stuff. Um, I really like delving into that world. Uh, I'm still a big kid trapped in a man's body, so I still have a very vivid imagination. Um, I love sci-fi as a fan watching it. Um, it's, it's wonderful to be able to see how, uh, without the constraints of reality, what you can create. Your approach... Reacting to special effects. Uh, Lots of how, green tennis balls in my world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. So what, how does it differ on this show compared to other shows you've worked on? Well, I think these days, um, I guess just because I've been doing this for 20-something years, um, 
and seeing being on set shooting something and then seeing the finished product now you kind of have an idea what you're going to be reacting to and again like i said it's just about allowing yourself to be a child and and play in the sandbox and when you're a kid you have these these um, this imagination that is so huge and as we get older we're told to like bring it in bring it in bring it in be an adult uh be more serious um luckily i've never listened to anybody <laughs> <laughs> good and for so you I'm still that kid with that huge imagination uh, imagination's a wonderful thing yeah look for motherland fort salem on freeform check your listings and this year i covered the tribeca festival virtually it used to be the film festival, but they've expanded and actually included podcasts as well. I spoke to directors and actors via Zoom. Let's start with The God Committee, a film about doctors who, by that said committee, decide who will get life-saving organ transplants. I spoke to Austin Stark, the director. Had the luxury of this being based on a play, so but you have to make an adaptation of a play. So... How did that, uh, how did that, how did you make that transition from a play to a movie? Um, well, the play centers on, uh, well, first, the film is inspired by the play, and I really did want to put my own stamp on it and make it my own. And it's a very, very compelling play, and it's all set in a boardroom, which uh, one of our storylines is heavily set in the boardroom. But um, one of the things, and, and, and that storyline centers on a group of doctors who have one hour to decide which of three patients deserves a heart that has unexpectedly and suddenly become available. And that's really what the place, uh, the play is about. And so with my film, one of the main things that I did in expanding it was creating a storyline, uh, seven years in the future, in the present day that explores the impact of that one decision and how it affects many people, many different people's lives. So I was essentially, I, I, I really wanted to, to take the play and use it as a jumping off, uh, jumping off point and create something that was, that was very cinematic. I did like the, uh, the nonlinear timeline. I think that worked extremely well. Oh, cool. It's interesting that we get, to, we get to see certain outcomes as the movie's progressing. And then we go back in time. I like that part of it too. It was really. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I, tr it was, it was very interesting in the editing room because what we tried to do with the storylines was connect them thematically and from a plot perspective. So the past was informing the present and vice versa, which was very interesting to experiment with and, 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 and also to just test on different audiences and see what they were taking away from it. As far as the casting, how did you get this amazing cast? Um, well, we just, uh, we sent them the script and Kelsey was the first actor to sign on. So we were, um, we had started to explore, uh, boxer and father Dunbar at first. Um, and we sent Kelsey the script to play father Dunbar actually. And he read it and he was like, I love this script. It's, it's very impactful. Like I definitely want to be a part of this. Um, and I would gladly play father Dunbar, but he's like, I feel like I've, I've been Father Dunbar before, and it's similar. But what would really be unexpected would be if I played boxer. And for me, I was very surprised to hear that. And at first, I was taken aback. And then I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. 
And, and what's interesting is that now when I think about the film, it's hard for me to imagine anybody else playing boxer. <laughs> like he is boxer, you know? And so uh, very cool. And then from there, um, Julia Stiles signed on next. And I just think she's great. And she like, I think she plays the warm side of Dr. Jordan Taylor with, with authenticity, which I was looking for. Cause that, cause you don't want to overdo it. And I think she has the right disposition for that character to play this idealist who has this, who has like a heart of gold, no pun intended. Um, but she doesn't overdo it and she's able to really temper it. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then from there, Coleman Domingo is just one of my favorite actors. Um, he's, he's incredible. I mean, oh, yeah. I, he's about to be a big star. Um, he already is a star, but he's about to really become a household name. And uh, I just thought he would bring a whole other dimension to Father Dunbar. And in my opinion, he, he did. And Janine Garofalo, I, I, I thought it was, uh, with her, I thought it was something different, like to not see her in a comedy, to, to, to play a role where she's, you know, which is, she's very reserved in this role. And, and, and that's a choice. And I think she did an excellent job with it. And another one that you're just not expecting to, 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 to be Dr. Gilroy. See for Me is an intriguing thriller combining technology and good old fashioned suspense. It's about a visually impaired woman that cat sits in a rich woman's house. She discovers an app that gives her a direction of what is in that space, using her cell phone camera and a person on the other line for guidance. I spoke to Skylar Davenport, who is visually impaired, and plays the lead, that said person, Sophie, and her director, Randall Okita. It kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Wait Until Dark, a play I I've saw. I've been hearing, yep. Yep, That's years the ago. That, uh-huh. uh, yeah. But with some nice twists to that, too, actually. Uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Skylar, and certainly, Randall, you can chime in. But she has kind of a gray area about her. She's not all necessarily hero or not necessarily bad either she's human yeah she is human <laughs> and and, yeah. and she's also very angry uh about what happened to her yeah so talk about that aspect of her and how really it informs her character mm-hmm. um so having experienced what losing your vision or your normal vision can do to you um from my personal experience, I leaned more towards depression and feelings of just sadness and loss, but I can see how that could have just as easily gone the other way and turned into anger and bitterness. Um, thankfully for me, I did not allow that to happen, but um, it, it's, it's a trip when something that earth-shakingly different happens to you and i don't think that there's any one way to handle it and so sophie's way of handling it was just one of many and she's <laughs> human like i said so yeah <laughs> so randall from your viewpoint how important was to kind of shade her a little bit and kind of ground her a little bit in that way i think uh for me personally as, as a you know as a film fan i it to me you know, realistic characters are so important and I think it helps us connect and be grounded. I'm not a fan of, of angelic characters that, that have no flaws. Um, and I think that Sophie is such a great example of, of 
someone who's really wrestling with something, who's dynamic, who who you can still connect with, but who has some really, you know, realistic and understandable uh, uh, flaws, you know, has made some really bad choices and make some bad choices within the context of the film. And I think that um, it's a better, it's a better adventure for it. Talk about that house. Uh, it, it, like in these movies, it seems like it almost becomes a character in its own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, finding that house, uh, Randall <laughs> and, and Skyler playing in that house. Yeah. Randall. You know, it, it was a huge, a huge search and we wanted something that uh, could, could help us, uh, uh, reflect something new and unique, right? We wanted we wanted it to have a unique language and and something that could uh, house the cat and mouse adventure that is the film, and that gave it the right tone and feel. And when we found this 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 gorgeous place, uh, uh, we knew it was right. And then it was just a matter of bringing bringing Skylar in there and starting to bring things to life. I remember when I first read the script, I hadn't seen the house. I was not a part of that aspect at all. And I I was like, I love this script. Everything to me is very believable, except for the fact that you wouldn't hear people like come, especially multiple people coming in. And, you know, even if they're not banging around, I'm like, if you're in a house, you're aware of these things. I'm like, I don't know if I fully buy that. But then once I got to the location, to the house, I was just like, I, I believe it. I buy it. In, in its entirety. This house was a maze. It was, it was insane. So they, that was an incredible location scouting right there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Talk about the, uh, the physical part of the role for both of you. Uh, we can start with you, Randall, like in orchestrating. And actually, uh, I, it's so funny, but your stunt coordinator, George, I always mess up his last name. I just covered a movie he was in <laughs> where he was a good guy, actually. And, uh, I, and <laughs> I know he, he does a lot of stunts and he was your stunt coordinator. So talk about the action and, uh, you know, and, and how was it for you too, Skylar, kind of, you know, playing those scenes? So, yeah, so we'll start with you, Randall, on that. Sure. I mean, you know, I think it goes back to the idea of the physicality and the space of the house and this wonderful uh, challenge of portraying uh, the cat and mouse aspect while also getting a sense of how Sophie navigates through the world, you know, including using this app. And then when it gets to the action, you know, aspect of it, which is also just this heightened layer of this adventure, you know, so George Chortov, who is our incredible stunt coordinator, who also plays one of the bad guys in the film, you know, double duty, just above and beyond, did an incredible job um, and was a huge aspect of, of how do you bring that uh, that layer to life and, and with these very, you know, dramatic kind of chase and action scenes and also how do you do it safely and with an understanding of 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 Skylar's and Sophie's abilities, uh, and it was uh, I think he did an incredible job, and it's such a fun uh, and rewarding sort of aspect of the film as well. And Skylar, what about you? You, you yeah. had to um, <laughs> use firearms in this too a little bit. It was yeah, it was, and I mean <laughs> I did have firearms training, um, and there's a certain point like when there are those really intense scenes where it's like I need to trust that the stunt coordinator knows what he's doing. I'm taking his instruction. I have to trust that I know what I'm doing acting wise and director and DP are watching the monitor and they know it looks good. So you just have to trust that everybody is 
is doing their job wonderfully and everyone did. And um, there was some nerve wracking moments, but you know, when the camera's like covered with glass, so it doesn't get shot up and stand, you're just like right, you know, a foot from it. You're just like, boy, I hope this doesn't hit the DP. <laughs> but um, it's perfectly safe. It was just, it was so, and the arms master was always on set too. So it was just everybody, everybody does their job beautifully. And no Running mixes social commentary on race and a UFO incident with a possible abduction. The writer is Tucker Morgan and director is Delmar Washington. The writer is Tucker Morgan and the director is Delmar Washington. And for me, what grounded this whole movie was, uh, you know, Skyler's Jalen. Without him, I don't think I would have hooked into the story as much. He really is such an integral part Talk about writing him, Tucker, and then directing him, Delma. Um, yeah, so basically, um, I was actually adopted and grew up in a very white community. Mm. So I was always hyper aware of how I was perceived um, by those around me and how people saw my color first. Um, so a lot of that was injected into the story. And so when I created this scenario a girl mysteriously disappearing and um, Jalen Brown being wrongfully blamed for it. A lot of it was based on my own um, uh, experiences. And um, when Skylin uh, Brooks walked into the room during the first table read, it was just like, that's Jalen Brown live in the flesh. Like it was a match, you know, it just felt right. So it was pretty, uh, pretty amazing for it to come together like that. Yeah. Um, and just to piggyback on what he was saying, um, when I was doing the whole casting process, I wanted to make sure that we found someone that um, brought a certain level of truth um, and, um, you know, quality and, and, and understanding of what was happening around us and sensitive to the to, the, to what's going on. And um, Jalen, um, who's played by Skyline Brooks, he 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 is that character you know he is the young black boy who you know i have a, a 16 year old son and every day before he leaves the house i pray to make sure that he comes back safe without any issues um jalen is that guy you know skyland is living that same sort of situation um so when it came to directing him i mean we had a lot of conversations around just being authentic and being um, you know, sensitive and understanding uh, what's happening um, in our society and try to, you know, make sure that they ring true. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another, his relationship with Amira, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time. So you had to make those moments count. And the two actors definitely had a chemistry and you believed right from the beginning that there was something between the two of them. Talking about that relationship, it, it is very central to the story. And you can we can start with Tucker and then Delmar, you can mention that as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, the story is grounded in reality and they're both uh, connecting over the fact that they're sort of isolated in this community. And from the writer's perspective, that's what was trying to be communicated between the relationship is that they're um, stronger together and they're sort of supporting each other um, beyond uh, ro any romantic feelings. Um, so that was what was trying to be conveyed in the script. Yeah. Um, 
I thought as well, you know, just to piggyback on what Tucker was saying, it's, it's, it was powerful to see two individuals that were considered outsiders, you know, bonding. Um, and you, you, although Clark isn't um, in the whole film, but her presence is felt throughout. Yeah. And, you know, and immediately when uh, Skyland and Clark came together in the chemistry read, they just kind of had the magic, you know, there, like they, they both were having a lot of fun and, you know, they shared a lot of um, similarities. And I thought that that was um, a perfect match in terms of uh, casting. Um, yeah. As far as the uh, kudos to your location scouting, uh, I'm not, I don't know where that was, but pretty awesome uh, place. I just visually speaking, but obviously not, very open-minded in the film. Um, so talk about the finding that and, yeah. and, and, and the practicality of shooting. Absolutely. Um, well, the location originally in the, in the film is from Tucker's, uh, you know, life experience. I know Tucker grew up in a small town. So, you know, we, sh- we did shoot the film in Los Angeles while outside of Los Angeles. So, it was very difficult to find a location that could kind of represent and feel like a small town and not like a big city. We end up shooting um, in a small town called Agora Hills, which is probably like an outside of uh, our and outside of LA. But most importantly, we wanted the town to feel real, you know? So um, with a lot of looking and long lenses, uh, we, we found it and we, we did the best that we could, you know, made it work. Sci-Fi Talk Plus is a great podcasting gift not only for you, but your friends and your family. There's over 800 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs. The best part? It's free for a lifetime. Just click on the link in the show notes for that free lifetime access. For episode 19, Time Capsule episode 378, this is Tony Tolado.